Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Training Unleashed, a proud member of the C-Suite Network. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about leadership, and I think we're going to be talking about it kind of in a different way. So I want to encourage people uh, to take, take time here because we're really going to be talking to somebody that really understands the importance of being a powerful leader. He just came out with the book, The Only Leaders Worth Following, uh, which I think is a very creative name. And his, the name of his company, and, and his name is Tim Spiker, by the way. I should get that, I should get that out of here. The name of his company is the... I'm, you know, Tim, I'm going to have you say the name <laughs> of the company because I'm very dyslexic. No problem. It's the Aperia, which is Latin for the reveal. A lot of work that we do has to do with looking behind corners around leadership where people don't normally look. And so that's why we have that name as a company. The reveal. I like that. That's yeah. very cool. Very cool. So why don't we start, you know, you wrote a book. It's not easy. What inspired you and what is the key message that you want people to know? Yeah. Well, the inspiration for going the step of writing a book, I mean, I never, I was a math and science kid. I was an engineering major in college. I never in a million years saw myself as somebody who wrote a book, but I got a chance to be a part of some really fascinating research. And what I found is I was just having the same conversation over and over and over again and in, in doing work in leadership development, there's a certain point where you think, how could you communicate an idea without having to be in the room every single time? So as simple as that, a book is a, is a great way to do that. So well, you know, it's interesting you say that because our audience are trainers and their goal is how do you train someone that can train somebody that can, you know, that, so the trainer doesn't need to be there all the time. So yeah. Yeah. Very, similar. very similar to that. Yeah. So, um, so just, just help us understand, so what are the key points that you make? What, what is it that's in your book about leadership that you won't find in most other books? Well, can I share with you a little story about how we found the thing that we wrote about, how this research came about? I would about? love that. All right. So I was working with a consulting firm, and we would bring people to the west side of Pikes Peak for a week at a time and put them through a number of activities and assessments. And part of our assessment suite was a personality assessment. There was another natural ability assessment and there was a leadership 360, which I'm sure you know, many of your viewers are familiar with all kinds of options in those areas. But the question that we got is a question that I'm sure a lot of people have heard, which is kind of what's the magical combination? Is there a particular personality type combined with some natural abilities that gives us a better than average shot of having a more effective leader? And we had enough data points where we could throw in the numbers and do the crunching. And we did that. And as we looked at that data that came back to us, we found absolutely nothing. We found no correlation, <laughs> no, no correlation whatsoever between personality and leadership effectiveness, natural abilities, leadership effectiveness, some combination of those things and either part or the whole of leadership, there was nothing. But 
and this is the part of the story that I love, uh, there still was something there. We were just looking in the wrong place. And, and that's the, I'm not saying that every person that does research and finds what they're looking for is cheating the system, but maybe, no, just kidding. Uh, we, I, mean, I, really, I really love that we stumbled upon this, even though we weren't looking for it. And so that because- was reveal, That was the reveal. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a that, good point. So what the SPSS software showed us is that there was a correlation over here where we weren't looking. And my colleague, uh, my colleague, Vanessa Kiley, she said, yeah, we didn't find anything that we were looking for. But over here, we had our Leadership 360. And there were eight areas in that Leadership 360. And she said, what we're seeing in this data is that just two of the eight areas are accounting for just under 70% of the variability in the assessment. So if you're thinking about eight divided into 100, any two categories should only be 25%. But we were just under 70%. A few years later, we ran the data again with 20,000 data points, 10 times the data points that we had initially, and that percentage went up to 77%. And so that's where we were like, wow, there's something going on here that we didn't expect. We thought that these eight areas were relatively even. And it wasn't until about three years after I'd left the firm, I was sitting in, in a room doing not what I was supposed to be doing. I was supposed to be doing my job. And instead I was daydreaming about leadership, which is what I do all the time. And it just hit me in that one afternoon that those two areas that were driving three quarters of the results, they were different than the other six because those two areas were about who you are as a human being. And the other six areas or about what you do as a leader. So the message became very simple at that point. Three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. And then I began having conversations with that as the backdrop. And just every time and time and time again, when I talk with people, they anecdotally support what that research says. And then along the way, we found that there's a lot of other places. Um, HBR has published things that support this. Um, KRW is a consulting firm out of Minneapolis. They have financial data that show this. It just begins to show up everywhere if, you know, once we were clued in to look for it. So that's the big message of the book is that three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. And so what do we do with that? How do we, how do we dig in to become more well-developed who's? And that's what the, that's what the book is about. So obviously I'm interested and I think the listeners are interested. What are those two things about the, what two personality types matter? Yeah. I got a great follow-up question. Okay. So, so the two pieces uh, that make up who are inwardly sound and others focused. And we talk about a lot of different, we know we break that out into different pieces and parts in terms of what does it make somebody uh, to be inwardly sound? How does it, what does it mean to be, others focus, but I was, uh, I was having a conversation on a, on a radio program a couple of days ago. And as the interviewer was asking me, he, he wanted to summarize inwardly sound. He goes, basically that means you're not a dumpster fire as a person. <laughs> and I thought oh, that's a, that's, that's one way to put it. Uh, and I thought there was some accuracy to that. But when you think about um, what does it mean to be an inwardly sound person, you're not easily shaken. You're, you're, you're steady. And there are a whole bunch of things that come into that, like self-awareness. But a big one is about, you know, are you insecure or are you secure? I think so many people, myself included, have had experience following a leader who's insecure. And the amount of sideways energy that happens in that relationship is just almost uncountable. 
in which case the enterprise is not getting the full effort of everybody because the energy is about making sure that the leader feels good about himself or herself or feels like they justify yeah. their position. So there's a lot of things that go into being inwardly sound. We talk about being holistically healthy and purposeful. And those are the types of things that are in that bucket. And then on the other's focus side of things, we talk about things like being attentive to others, which is a huge temptation for leaders. I mean, everybody, including the leader, let's just make the world about me, my priorities, what I have going on. What happens when a leader flips around and is attentive towards others, pays attention, um, and then we get into curiosity, empathy, humility, and the idea of uh, uh, an idea called agapon, which is a Greek word about the state of unconditional regard for the people that you are leading. What does it mean to say, no matter how you treat me, I'm going to treat you with dignity and respect, no matter whether or not you produce great results or not. Now, that doesn't mean we don't hold people accountable. We do hold people accountable, but the way we treat and interact with them is not conditional. And, and so anyway, those are some of the ideas that make up inwardly sound and others focused. So the question I want to follow up with is, do you believe that people can change their personality? Do you believe that can the people who are listening here, trainers, train people to be more inwardly sound or outwardly focused? Okay. So do you want the long answer or the short answer or both? Well, I, I, I'm going to allow you to choose. I want the most interesting answer. <laughs> All right. Well, then let's build on a little bit. So this notion that we're only able to grow and develop as, you know, in our adolescence and early adulthood, I think is born out of a Swiss psychologist, Jean Piaget, who initially introduced this idea. And what we see is that people get older, excuse me, as they get older, they often have uh, maybe not the will to work on themselves. And what we've erroneously concluded is they can't grow and develop. And I just want to draw a big thick line between I can't and I won't. Because Cheryl Armand and Theo Dawson are researchers who have proven that adults can grow and develop. And some of their research spanned about 14 years following along people's development. And some of their subjects that, that grew and improved, they didn't even start the study until after they were 55 years old. And so from a I understand why the notion of people not being able to grow and develop in who they are later in life, why that idea exists out there. It's not illogical. It's just not accurate. And there's other statistics that we have uh, to show that in terms of there's, there's, there's Dawson, there's their research, uh, Armand and Dawson, but then there's other anecdotal stories um, where I've gotten a chance to see it in real life. A story that lots of people would be familiar with, is Steve Jobs. You know, Steve Jobs was wildly successful by most anybody's Stanford standard the first time around at Apple. But as we know the story, he more or less got run out of his own company. And he went to Next and then to Pixar. And there's a great book about this called Becoming Steve Jobs. And I love the title of it because it is so accurate. It's about Steve Jobs' journey as a person, not just as a business person. So when he came back to Apple the second time, he was not Mother Teresa, but he also wasn't Steve Jobs 1.0. He had shifted. He had become a little more collaborative. He'd become a little more empathic. Now, I know that he wasn't going to set any record, but here's the thing. He had such influence in the organization that even a 10% shift made a huge impact on the organization. 
So what's the difference between really, really financially and business successful Steve Jobs 1.0 and that genius with a more well-developed who beneath it? Apple becomes the most valuable company in the world. And so Steve Jobs' life really encapsulates this idea of how who you are can make such a big difference in your effectiveness as a leader. And there's even other data. We'll get so, into so I want to first off tell you I agree with you. I will tell you there were parts of my life I absolutely did not agree with you. There were parts of my life where I felt like once someone turned 30, they were so ingrained. Hmm. Um, but I, I know that people really that work on personal development and, you know, really try to root out the, the, the underlying belief systems that cause them to act and be a certain way mm-hmm. and really work on shifting can absolutely shift in a big way. Um, it's not easy. I mean, I see, that's the thing. If somebody says, well, is it, is it really, really easy, really, really simple? No, it's really hard. <laughs> um, no, but that doesn't mean we real, can't. It's really hard. A lot of it is emotional intelligence training. Absolutely. People become self-aware. Mm-hmm. And here's the difficult question. Uh, that's all I'm giving you today, Tim. Yeah, the difficult question is, fine. in the corporate world, can corporations really do that kind of training? Okay. It's acceptable in corporations to do that kind of training. So I want to put out here in my company, I have absolutely um, encouraged and paid for uh, senior leadership to do emotional intelligence training and to work on them being a stronger, more powerful leader by shifting uh, their belief systems. So I'm in it, but I always question to some degree, you know, whether or not, you know, some, somebody that goes to one of these trainings is going to come back and go, why in the world did you send me there? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll share with you some, some, some story evidence from some of the clients that we've worked with, which is uh, there's some things you step into like that research that happened. I didn't orchestrate all of that. I was really fortunate that I got to be a part of the group that was looking into that. This next story I'm going to tell you is the same way. We started with, with a, a large client, a multinational um, based in Australia, and a large division of that company happened to be starting in with McKinsey with their organizational health index at the exact same time that they were starting their who, not what work. So I couldn't have orchestrated that. That was just really fortuitous. But that meant that we had some pretty hard data to go off of. And when they did their initial assessment, they discovered that they were in the bottom quartile of the OHI. And so everybody there was rather disappointed. I was just coming on the scene. So we were just getting oriented with the group. Five years later, as, as McKinsey will do that work, they're doing it one, three, five. They, they take the measurement. Five years later, they've raised their OHI 22%. And they're in the top quartile, which has significant uh, data around it, around probable financial outcomes. Now, let me, let me, what does OHI stand for? Oh, sorry, Organizational Health Index. So okay. that's McKinsey's kind of worldwide uh, number that they use to measure uh, the, the health of organizations. And leadership's a, a primary part of that. So they make this big leap over the course of five years. And I want to be clear, they did a lot of other things besides work on who, not what. But two things. They were willing to work on who, not what. And the leaders that we were working with, these were not 20-somethings back to the issue of can people grow and develop? 
we were talking late 30s, 40s, and 50s with the leaders that we were working for. And the senior executives of that group came to me totally independently and said, this, this work that we've done on who not what has played an integral role in us making this improvement. So what we have is a group there that has hard data to say that working on this and the credit goes to them. I mean, back to your, back to your question here around, is this acceptable in corporate? They were willing to do it. So we'll spend, we'll spend a whole quarter on what does it mean to be more curious? We'll spend another quarter on what does it mean to be more empathic? And we systematically work through inwardly sound and others focus and they were willing to dig in. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes more time than anybody in business wants it to take, but we're talking about the development of, of people. And, uh, you know, a big analogy for us in our work is a tree and a great big strong oak tree. I mean, how long does that take to grow? It's, it's a lifetime. And so we got to see the numbers shift with them. A, a, a quote to go along with that is an, another leader in a different part of that company came to us about 18 months into the process and he said, I just had somebody in the organization come to me and say, 18 months ago, I was ready to leave this place and you were the reason. Now I want to stay at this place and you are the reason. And this person was in their 40s. Hmm. And so I say that is when you find a group of people who is willing to do the work and that's, you know, I've got no magic bean. This isn't the matrix. Like I, I can't just... I can't snap, if I could snap my fingers and make it happen, I would, but it just, life doesn't work that way. And development at the heart of a person, I can develop a skill a little more quickly with a, maybe a little bit less investment, but this is, this is really challenging work. And it's, it's, it's about becoming a well-developed human being so you can produce a better leadership results. And I'm finding that when corporations understand the research, it becomes okay things to talk about because they see the payoff financially. Very interesting. So I, I'm assuming you covered this in your book? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 So what we do is we introduce the research. And, and the way I liked it, the, the book kind of mirrors the way that we do work, where uh, we're trying to make it very interactive. You know, always having, always having the reader think about, hey, do this exercise. Where does this apply in your own life? We spend the first part of the book introducing the research. But then the rest of it is a deep dive into these various aspects of being inwardly sound and others focus. It wraps up with addressing some of the common objections and, and you've raised the number one question that I get. What if, you know, what if I'm a little bit older in my career? What if I'm not in my mid twenties? Can I actually improve in who I am? And of course we've covered that. The answer is yes. Interesting point to add in about that is as we, as we get older, um, and older is really not right the word, but as we have more influence, depending on the position we sit in an organization, that small shift makes a bigger impact. And so maybe we don't grow 50% like we might have between 18 and 25. But as we get over, even those smaller shifts make a big difference. Well, I think you're absolutely right. And I love when you say we work for a quarter on this. Uh, I think there's a fallacy in training that, you know, once and done. Uh, oh, man. You know, changing behavior, whether it's emotional intelligence or whether it's just a, a you know, one of those, uh, what do you call it? The, the, other, the other six things on your list, mm -hmm. uh, which I think it'd be kind of interesting to know what the other six things were. Everything in training is, is about putting it in practice, using it, and, 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 and owning the knowledge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, I mean, because we're working at the depth of who we are, 
and I, and I, I do get pushback. I had somebody say to me one time for the part where we're talking about insecurity and we call that section secure and settled. He said, Hey, can, can, this has taken a lot. Can you do that in three weeks? And I said, no, I can't. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I can't, I can't, I can barely address it in three months. Um, it's a challenge in that time period. And so that's one of the, that's one of the things that comes up. I understand, you know, better, faster. I, I get it. I know that there's always the push for that, but we have to think about um, what are we really after here? If you're after nominal knowledge transfer, we can do that pretty quickly. If you're after, do we understand what the message is? We can do that. And by pretty quickly, I don't mean like in an afternoon, but over a, you know, not many, many years. But if what you want is growth and who somebody is as a human being, um, you have to understand that that's going to take time. There is not a magic pill for that. So that's, that becomes a challenge. Everybody wants it as fast as possible. They want, they want the transformation overnight. And that's just generally speaking, not how human development works, especially when you're working as deeply um, as we are. Yeah, there's no doubt, there's no doubt about it. And if, if you could do it quickly, I would question whether you're really doing it because you can make someone feel good. Pretty <laughs> well, well stated. We're so glad you're listening to this episode of Training Unleashed, brought to you by Tortal Training. The difference between Tortal Training and other online training companies is we're primarily a training company with technology rather than a technology company that does training. Want to find out more? Just go to Tortal.net. That's T-O-R-T-A-L, Tortal.net. You said that you wanted to talk about maybe what are in those different, what makes up. I was just curious what the other six points you were looking at. Yeah. So, so with others focused, it's attentive, curious, empathic, humble, and agapone. Then we have one category that's got it, its foot in both worlds of inwardly sound and others focused, and that's emotional maturity. And then we go to secure and settled, self-aware, principled, holistically healthy, and purposeful. And that those are the 11. And then depending on what client we're working with or where they want to, we have some work that we also do in the space of worldview, where that even comes before the issue of who, how do I see the issue of who, how do I see things? And in that, we talk about the idea of perspective and attention bias. And so in the end, we have kind of 13 buckets of things that we dive deeply into when people are ready to do that kind of work. So let, let's take a second if we can and talk about being pur purposely driven. Yeah. Um, I use the term vision. Um, which I, I assume is probably pretty similar. But what do you, what do you mean by pur uh, purposely driven? And maybe share some examples. Well, we, we might use the term a little differently. So I'm glad you brought that up because uh, there's the vision for the organization. But one of the things that we talked to people about, and you'll have to tell me if this matches up with how you talk about it. But ultimately, are you super clear on what your values are as an individual? And do you align your life to that? Because what we see is, you know, I think of it in a, in a sales analogy. Let's say I'm a leader of a sales division. And, you know, this month's hot thing that we're getting bonuses to sell is, you know, long-term life insurance if we're in a financial company. What if my clients don't need that? What if that's not what they really need? I'm being bonused. I'm being incentivized. You want to you be following a leader that's not just blown around depending on whatever incentive or thing is going on because we trust people that are more steadfast than that. 
And so when we talk about being purposeful, we talk to people about what are you really trying to invest your life in? What's your reason for getting out of bed in the morning? And sometimes they discover through that process that they either don't know what it is or it's not that attractive. <laughs> and, and that's okay because it's a process. And we say, okay, if you're not that excited about it, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's very surface level and you, and you decided, hey, I want to be a more well-developed person. So then we, we take them through a process to begin to think like that. So when we talk about purposeful, we're not talking so much about the corporate level of purpose. We're saying, personally, what do you want your life to be about? And if you can figure that out with some clarity and then prioritize your time and energy towards that, even though it's a personal matter, it makes you a more stable and steadfast um, anchor for the people that you're leading every day, whether you're at work or whether you're at home. So what is your personal purpose? Well, my, my personal purpose, especially from a vocational standpoint, is to help as many people as possible understand and experience exceptional leadership. I just, you know, the, the topic of leadership captured me about 20 years ago and it hasn't, it hasn't gone away since then. So that's, that's my purpose on the vocational side. I, I love it. Thanks. I love it. Um, for me, my personal purpose is to have deep and meaningful connections with others and make a difference in their lives. Um, and how, how did, how did, how long, like, when did you come to that and, and how long ago, what, what was the journey that got you to that, that type of clarity on those connections? Well, it was a very long, it was a very long process. Yeah. Uh, I actually probably literally started about 20 years ago and I, I've been drawn to a lot of personal development and working on your clear vision or personal vision or personal purpose. Uh, it has been very important. And, um, you know, I've went through a lot of different iterations of what that would be. Um, but it's, it it's really comes down to what do you value? Mm. And to me, I, I love having deep connections with other people. It really means a lot. And I love helping other people be successful. And it's, um, so you know, I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but I, you know, I've, I've gone to a lot of different personal development programs and, uh, and I just, I keep working on it. I mean, I'm in personal development now. I mean, I just, I think it's important to constantly try to be a better person. I, I use this term, which is better to be uh, green and growing than ripe and rotting. And yeah, yeah. You know, I just, you know, I, I, I like you, I'm very committed uh, to um, the importance of development. And uh, you, in your case, it's specifically leadership. In yeah. my case, a little bit more broad. Yeah, but you, you've identified something in that that I would say is unique as it gets into practice, which is you have determined that deep relationships, deep connections are important to you. And so you're going to think, because you've done that work, because you've done the work to be clear about that, as you begin to think about how you prioritize time, energy, money, all of it, that idea of deep connection, if you're, if you're living a purposeful life, if you're being purposeful, you're going to align the resources you have, time, energy, and money towards that. And to be clear, and that's unique because not everybody is passionate about having deep connections, but you've just, yeah, no, no, look at it. it, it uh, later today, I'm mentoring somebody that no compensation and, um, person, you know, came and said, I, I would appreciate help. And, you know, that's part of who I am. And, 
you know, my wife will tell you when I go to restaurants, I don't chit chat. You know, I have meaningful conversations with the wait staff. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. What's well, it's, it's great that you, you, you know, done the, the long hard work of getting clear and now the challenge of prioritizing that and what does that look like? And all of that goes into that purposefulness. That's great. Yeah. And, it, and it, I think it makes a big difference in terms of the companies that I manage and run um, and being committed to each person as a person, not just as a part of the, of, of the company. And um, so, it, you know, I'm very much into corporate vision statements um, and very much into shared common vision. And I'm really glad you differentiated purpose statement from vision because I was thinking that was where you're running. And I do think it's important for each individual person to know what their purpose is, what do they, va what do they value, what's important to them. Because yeah. otherwise you just spend your time, you know, you morant, I'm very dyslexic, but <laughs> I, you wander through life. Yeah. You know, you get up every day and, you know, okay, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to come home, watch a little TV, I eat a little food. <laughs> you know, and, and you don't, you don't accomplish big and great things. And when you have to find and have more clarity of purpose and what you want to do and be with life, um, I, I think it personally gives you a lot of satisfaction. I, I, I'm interviewing myself now. <laughs> well, that's, hey, I asked the question, so yeah. I appreciate you answering it. No, I, it, it, it's important. And you're connecting that to, to, to this is why it's important in leadership, because it provides that stability so that we're not blown about by the wind and waves of whatever might be happening in my organization at a particular time. But I'm, I'm steadier than that. And that's what people want from their leaders. They want steady leaders. And that means we as leaders need to do the work to become steady. And, and I think, you know, we're sitting here and this is a training podcast. So I bring this all yeah. back to training. Yeah. There is no single solution for each per that works for every person. Every person needs, you know, in a corporation, a personal development path for them. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that there aren't core things that people need to learn in every company, but people learn differently. People need, need help in different areas and to just turn everyone through the same mm -hmm. is not the most productive way to train people. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, it's a big thing to me that every person on the team should have a, a personal development plan. And I'm not talking about personal development. Like we're talking about personal development where you're working on yourself as a person. I'm just, I'm talking about just, you know, what, you know, what are the things that they, you know, if they want to move up in the organization, what are the mm -hmm. things that they need to learn? Where are their gaps in their current knowledge and, and education? And, and focus on having a plan for that person. And in most cases, this is really the manager's role more than the train department's role. But I think it's part of the incumbent on the train department to empower that, to make that happen, to have the tools necessary to make, to make it happen. Yeah, it, well, it's important that leaders in, organiz under, in organizations understand that if they're not cultivating talent, they're not fulfilling the mandate of leadership. And so it, it's really important when I was I mentioned the research that we did and when, when people would come up to that week long program, the number one thing on average that they were neglecting was the development of other people. They tended to see it as a nice to have. And one of the things that we were trying to help them see and understand is that it's a requirement. 
it, you, you can't call yourself a fully developed leader if you are not cultivating talent in others. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. And there's a lot of different levels of talent to cultivate, but it's got to be part, it's got to be a principle that's at, that's at work all the time. If you want to fulfill who you can be as a leader. Yeah. It's, it's interesting you say this because I've always said that the definition of success of you as a leader or as a manager isn't what you accomplish. It's what happens after you. Right. So you left the company so well, well ingrained that it could keep growing and keep going and keep prospering. It didn't need you. Yeah. Um, and yeah. there are a lot of companies where they are very dependent on the leader. Um, and, and, and I think that's a, a major weakness. Well, I agree with you. And, and what we see at play in those kinds of situations, and I want to dial it back to this connect it back into the who, not what principle. Like where does who come into play if I'm not developing others? Well, it has a lot to do with how you see yourself. Um, are you just here for you? Like that gets back to the inwardly sound others focus piece. You can see where if I'm more others focused, I'm gonna be more apt to cultivate talent because I see that this isn't all about me. And, and coming in in that same space is the idea of humility, which is this is not just my show, I am here but I am here to contribute and there are other people here and they may have positions in the organizations that aren't as high or lofty as mine, but am I also here to help raise them up? And so if you get well-developed who's that are attentive, curious, empathic, humble, agapone that bring those things, you can easily see just like the roots of a tree come up out of the ground and then you see things flourishing, but it started in the roots. It started down in the ground, getting nutrients and nourishment and a big, strong root system, which in this analogy is who you are, it comes up and that's where we see the fruit. That's where we see talent that gets cultivated. That's where we see an anti-hub and spoke model in organizations where when you exit the organization, the organization isn't going, oh, oh no, what do we what do? We do? Um, lots of times people build that up because their egos need that, but it's a very unhealthy and dangerous way for an organization to live because if they walk, then you've got a whole host of problems. So you can see that connection point. The tree is the analogy that we use the most with when we talk about these things, that who is, it's underground. You don't see it as easily, but it's driving everything that we do as leaders. So Tim, we could talk forever. <laughs> uh, we're already past our normal time. Okay. But um, why don't you, you know, I know you have an offer for everyone. I, I take a moment here and and, uh, and, share, and share your offer? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Well, we, you know, we'd love people to get a chance to read the book. We've, we've, you know, we've talked about it in brief here, but there's a whole lot more research and examples to take a look at. So if somebody's interested in, in picking up a copy of it, the offer that we have, if you go to theonlyleaders.com, so with the V on the front, theonlyleaders.com, you'll have a chance there to uh, sign up to be a part of our email list. And when you do that, you get a free study guide to go along with the book. So there's an opportunity there if you want to not only read the book, but also have some opportunities to engage in that dialogue with others. We wanted to help uh, supplement that. So that's available at theonlyleaders.com. Thank you very much. Great yeah. offer. You know, I, I personally love sharing a book with my management team and, and discussing and having a leader's guide makes, it, makes a big difference. Um, we always end, Tim, with if you had to give one tip what would it be? What is your one tip? Yeah. I think my one tip is have the courage to look in the mirror. 
and I mean, I have to pause because like I, I get emotional about it. Um, the work means a lot to me. And I've been really blessed to get a chance to walk alongside some incredibly accomplished leaders who, even though they were accomplished, they were willing to look in the mirror. They were willing to say, okay, I'm not perfect. And, and, and until, until I'm not breathing anymore, I need to be working on who I am. And, and look, I recognize that that's not easy. I, that's scary for all of us. I see things in the mirror that I'm not proud of and that I need to get better at. And not, I don't mean little things. Not like I threw a piece of paper at the trash can and I missed. No, it's way, it's way more significant than that with regard to ego and greed and, and, and those types of things that, that aren't very pretty that show up, in us, show up inside of us from time to time. But if people can square with the idea that I need to be able to look in the mirror with courage and see what's there and then tackle that, it's going to serve them so well because three quarters of your effectiveness as a leader comes from who you are, not what you do. So, so have the courage, work, drum up that courage to honestly look in the mirror. Yeah. I would add to that, ask others for feedback. Well, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. No, that's a great, I'm, I'm almost assuming that when I say that, like being yeah. willing to take that feedback and say, oh man, do I see the truth in that even though I'm not excited about all of it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've been a great guest. I want to thank my audience. I also uh, want to acknowledge the C-Suite Network for helping make uh, my podcast and uh, TV show successful. Um, everyone have a great day. And Tim, thank you for being our guest. Evan, thanks for, thanks for having me. This has been Training Unleashed, but it doesn't stop here. Just go to trainingunleashed.net to subscribe to the show. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll be well on your way to delivering training programs that are off the chain. We'll talk to you next time on Training Unleashed. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.